Jennifer Lucero Earl is a magician of the soul. She uses music, movement, and powerful storytelling to shift your mind, heart, spirit, and body to higher vibrations. Her maiden name, Lucero, means bright star. Jennifer is an embodied diviner, the creator of Arcana Dance, a black belt Nia teacher, and movement facilitator with over 30 years of experience working with tarot. Her charge in life is to facilitate a safe, non-judgmental experience for people to move, feel, heal, and grow into a more joyful self through tarot and on the dance floor of life. Find previous episodes of No Blueprint Playlist and more at noblueprintpodcast.com. Be sure to follow, like, share, rate, and subscribe on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I remember asking my mother once, I had this one experience with our neighbor downstairs, and I said, Mom, why do people cry on New Year's? And just, you know, want to know why. Mm. And she said something about they're grieving whatever losses they have had or that another year has passed and um, they made it through. Mm. And it was just that, wow. I think I was wow. 12 when she said that. I'm like, wow. oh my gosh, the struggle. What's up, everybody? I go by the name of Domo. And I go by the name of Yoshiko. And each week, we sit down with cultural ambassadors to talk about how they defied societal norms to live their lives with, with no, no blueprint. blueprint. I am a person that comes from a immigrant family. Mm. I was, I'm the firstborn. Uh, firstborn, not firstborn in my family, but first generation to be born in the United States. Mm. I am someone who's had an experience that sometimes has felt like I'm not really connected to anything specific mm. and that I'm living in like parallel worlds. My home life, and it's a blend, blend of cultures. Um, you know, I grew up in a household that was half Puerto Rican and half Argentinian and then those two cultures are really different, mm-hmm. you know, and in the backdrop of, of the Bronx in New York City and in, in an environment where I was encouraged to be really American mm-hmm. and I didn't even know what that meant. Mm-hmm. I think if I answer that question, like, who am I? I'm someone who's learning how to be myself, mm-hmm. you know, in this life right now and, and figuring out what is community, what is home, um, what's my purpose, what's my place, um, and how can I serve? You know? It's deep. It is. Super deep. That was good. You said a lot there <laughs> to unpackage. Right. <clears throat> how do you define culture? I saw that question and was like, why would you ask me that? <laughs> just, but it, it's really, it's really a deep question for me. Um, cause it, for, for me, culture means a number of different things. Mm. I don't even want to call it a synergy. It's more like a Rubik's cube mm. of things that includes language, mm-hmm. music, food, nonverbal communication. Um, I'm thinking about things like the look my mother gave me when I, I'm, so I'm not supposed to be doing something. <laughs> you know, there's a look that only she gave. And I'm sure that's part of mother culture as much as it is Puerto Rican mother culture. Right. But it's definitely a cultural thing because it's only something that I would see and I understand. And no one else <laughs> like, is like, hey, oh. your mother didn't make a face. I'm like, oh, yeah, she did. She made a face. <laughs> I saw, I saw and it's a, it's a face that stops me right in my tracks. Um, so there's nonverbal communication. There's a blend of things. Like I think I mentioned food, but food was such a core part of Absolutely. my experience of culture. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the culture of spirituality and, and religion. Those were two distinct things in my household. Mm-hmm. The culture of being part of a multi-generational household mm-hmm. um, and, and seeing, you know, my my grandmother and my grandfather were a big part of my upbringing and parts of how they behaved were like they never left Puerto Rico. Okay. You know, and so that was in our household and my brother and I are like <laughs> listening to Michael Jackson and <laughs> Prince and Bruce Springsteen and you know it and my grandma's like, what is that music? In Spanish. She's like, ¿Qué es eso? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't like it. It's noisy. <laughs> I would say, what do you 
talking about? So, you know, a combination of those things. And I think for me, culture is really ingrained in, in, in movement and dance. And um, there's also, I had a real keen awareness of different types of culture, you know, as, as I was growing up, you know, the, the culture in my household was different from the culture in my building, from the culture on my block, you know, from the culture in the school I went to. And I started working at a video store right down the street from, from where I lived when I was 12, like when I could actually get a work, work license. And, uh, that was the, the, and then I realized, oh my gosh, there's a work culture too. And it's a cool one in a video store, I have to say. (laughs) But it had its own distinct culture, mm-hmm. and it blew my mind to to have to navigate all of those different you know environments and then figure out there's also me in there too. Mm-hmm. Like I'm figuring out what it means to be American, mm-hmm. and so I have this subculture living in a subculture living in a subculture, and you just keep going. And that's right. why for me it feels like a Rubik's cube. That um, is such an amazing analogy. <laughs> Like, yeah, you play with Rubik's a Rubik's cube, cube and you just can't get it to. I can't. I've never. But it's fun and it's pretty, and mm-hmm. you just can't somehow get it back to the way it was. Right, right. When all the colors were <laughs> the same, but matching, right? Um, I used to just peel off. Yes, <laughs> peel off some sticker. There's some where you can just pull blocks off. You mm-hmm. Just pull the blocks off and then put them back together. That's funny. Shout, yeah. out, shout out to all the people that are cheating on Rubik's Cube. Yes. And then for people who are like, I'm Rubik's Cube, I need to Google that. Right. What is that? Right. What is that? Have you ever seen Pursuit of Happiness? Right. No. So what brought your family to the States? So I was thinking about this. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, they came at different times. So my mother and her family came to the States from Puerto Rico when my mother was a teenager. So it was in the fifties. They came for the same reason my father came. Um, they came for a better life. Um, I think it was easier to find work in the U S and there were, I want to say thousands of Puerto Ricans in New York city or like there was, Mm. there's a a series and I'm blanking out the name of the 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 documentary, uh, the name of the the producer and the director, but it was called the New York series. And there's a whole episode on the influx of Puerto Ricans that came to New York mm-hmm. um, in the 50s and 60s. And so my grandmother, her husband was then they were part of that wave. Them and their three kids, and my mother was one of the three kids came to the U.S. Um, in the 50s. And so my mother was a teenager. She's the middle child. And she has an older sister and a younger brother. Okay. And uh, they ended up not in the Bronx first. So I was born and raised in the Bronx, but mm-hmm. they ended up in Manhattan. And at a time where it was a little bit more affordable mm-hmm. to live there. <laughs> Manhattan is crazy. Right? And, and people left Manhattan to go to the Bronx because it became more affordable if you wanted to have a family mm-hmm. um, to live in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. And so... My mother, when she met my father, and I'll talk about how he came to the States in a moment, um, when they met and they got married, I think in 1970, they decided they wanted to have a family. They needed to live in a, in a bigger apartment, not even a home, mm. in a bigger apartment. And mm. so they moved to the Bronx. And, mm. and that's where, even though my brother was born in Manhattan, he was first born, um, they were living in the Bronx at the time. And it mm. had everything to do with affordability mm. um, and being able to expand in the household to have more space, living space. And that, that meant a one bedroom or two bedroom versus a studio apartment. And so my father was an adult when he came to the U S from Argentina and he came when he was in his Mm twenties and his, I think he was in his late Mm twenties and it was in the late sixties. He came on his own without Mm -hmm. family. He didn't know anyone. He just knew that there was opportunity. Wow. And there are enough people that don't speak English in New York, that he was able to find a Spanish-speaking culture, you know, mm-hmm. a Spanish-speaking community. Yeah. And he got work pretty quickly as a, as a glazer. You know, he was always into woodworking and okay. manual labor, but... What's a glazer? A glazer is uh, someone who basically cuts glass commercial glass and installs it in in buildings apartment buildings and commercial buildings and storefronts so when i walk around manhattan yeah. i see all of these buildings that i know my father installed the frames and and wow. glass and so 
um, it kind of, it gave, he's no longer with us. So he mm-hmm. passed away in 2002. So I feel like he, there's a, his soul yeah. is in New York. Like these, these businesses like pick a bagel is one of the businesses. <laughs> we did all the storefronts for pick a bagel okay. and, um, uh, the French roast, which is a, is a, a chain restaurant. Mm-hmm. And there are a number of other places, but whenever I walk by them, I get emotional just thinking oh, about, wow. you know, that's his, his energy, mm-hmm. his creativity went into, um, putting these storefronts, mm-hmm. um, you know, or in apartment buildings, putting up the, the windows, right. um, or doorways. Mm-hmm. Um, so he came in the 1960s in the late sixties on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, he was essentially an orphan. Um, his, his mother and father passed away when he was young and his sister raised him mm-hmm. in Argentina. Mm-hmm. And he always felt like the black sheep in the family. And, and never really felt connected. So when he had an opportunity to leave, he ran away and uh, oh, wow. saved to g- come to the States. He did. And I think he had $25 in his pocket. Wow. You know, I, and it, I might be exaggerating. Wow. Maybe it was like 40 but it wasn't much <laughs> yeah. beyond that. Right. Like truly, like in a time where I have a dream to, to build a life for myself right. and, and start over and to be anonymous. Right. In you New know? York City. Yeah, which, you know, and he wow. he did really well for himself for, for a while. Right. How did him and your mother meet? I don't remember. I think it's so funny. I was thinking about them. Like, I don't remember how they met, but I think <laughs> they met through a mutual friend. Okay. And um, my mother was five years older than my father, which nice. if you think about the, to that day and age, that's not a common, yeah. not a common thing. Yeah. So yeah. my mother was five years older. Then my father, she was working as a hairdresser at Macy's at the time. Macy's on 34th Street, which is like the Mm. the big Mm -hmm. famous Macy's in Manhattan. So she was working there, um, a career woman as a hairdresser. And she met my father. And I I think they got married pretty quickly. They they dated for a little bit and (laughs) got married. And um, my brother came along in 1972. That was a couple years after they got married. Yeah. Um, culturally they were, they were really different, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's so funny to be, I don't know if we experience this so much here in Seattle, but I think I've had this conversation with you, Dominique, Mm -hmm. where like in New York, like Puerto Ricans don't get along with Argentinians Mm -hmm. or, you know, Mm -hmm. Dominicans don't get along with Hondurians. It's like ridiculous. It's Mm -hmm. not really true, but I remember like my mother always telling me, you know, you, when you tell people you're half Puerto Rican and half Argentinian, if they make a face, don't worry. Because mm. we're just really different culturally. You know, there's the Caribbean, you know, the Caribbean nature of the Puerto Rican experience. And right. then there's kind of the more indigenous right. experience of, oh. you know, the native Argentinians. And so my father was a native Argentinian, not mm-hmm. From um, not from the influx of people that came from Europe that ended up mm-hmm. in Argentina. Right. So. so, did you ever get funny looks when you mentioned you were half Puerto Rican, half Argentinian? I did in Mexico. Really? <laughs> yeah. When I went to Mexico, um, uh, I can't remember the exact interaction, but I remember this man asking me, you know, where are you from? You know, where's your family from? And I said, well, my mother, my mother was born and raised in Puerto Rico, and my father was born and raised in Argentina. In Argentina, and he he was like, oh, he was like, oh, those, <laughs> those are interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. I think so. I right. think they're interesting. And that now. <laughs> was one experience yeah. but it was the only time that ever happened wow were um, you an adult by then oh yeah okay. yeah it was wow. actually it was in my 30s it's like this uh, after all of these years yeah. hearing this could happen yeah. Mom, it happened. you're preparing for the moment mom it happened <laughs> yes, I my mother i did i was like this happened you're like you said it would but it was the only time it happened that's hilarious um, and i didn't really know how to follow up I was on a work trip, and mm-hmm. so I didn't really know how to follow up that conversation with, what do you mean by interesting? <laughs> yeah. and, um, I think the facial expression, which again, facial expressions to me are a big part of culture, yeah. mm-hmm. and it gave me the cue of, maybe don't follow up on that. <laughs> <laughs> just maybe just lend it, let it go, you know, because I don't think this conversation would end well right. <laughs> otherwise. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> so. What was it like growing up in the Bronx? Awesome and uh, (laughs) (laughs) 
So growing up in the Bronx, oh boy, I, I started out saying awesome and, and yet I couldn't wait to get out of there. Hmm. I think what was so awesome about growing up in the Bronx was the diversity mm-hmm. in my building, uh, it, which now has a name. Like my, my, I drove <laughs> by my building on this last trip to New York. I mean, I grew up, and I'm going to say this, 21, eight, uh, wait, wait, 2156 Kruger Avenue. And it now has a name. It's called Devon Hall. It's like a college campus name, you know, well, yeah. now you live in Devon Hall. It never had that name before. I just want to share that out loud. <laughs> That's called, a new it thing. It was just called My Building. Right, <laughs> right. I lived in, it was My Building, right. right. Um, what I loved about uh, growing up on that street in the Bronx was my neighbors. You mm. know, I they were from all over the world. Like I grew up with, you know, like the, the Filipino neighbors down the hall and then the Dominican family right below me and then the mm. Italian family on the second floor and on the ground floor there was the Russian family mm. and like it was just this truly a melting pot in this right. building. And it was wonderful because as I walked down the street there were a number of different shops that catered to things that we would eat, right. you know, in our family. You know, you could buy Oh gosh, just name, I can't even think off the top of my head, anything you might need for a Puerto Rican dish, you know, or if I wanted to try something that was traditional to, you know, a Dominican recipe or, um, you know, other, or Central American, other Central American, um, not Dominicans, not Central, or Haitian, or you name it, Jamaican, there was always something down the street. So there were a number of things I loved that were around accessibility of things that felt like home, mm-hmm. like in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. And uh, I felt understood. And I felt like I could never possibly be bored. You know, there was mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. just so much, there's mm-hmm. so much kind of rich experience all around me. And yet it was also depressing. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, there's a lot of poverty. Mm-hmm. And uh, struggle is like everybody's story. Like that's that's the thing, the thread. What I know, every family experienced was struggle, and mm-hmm. we had that in common, and we wore it like a badge. Mm-hmm. You know, all of our families did. And if we wanted opportunity, it meant leaving, getting on the train, and going into Manhattan. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, opportunity as in jobs or jobs, schools, oh. better schools. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. um, I went to all of my schools were in the Bronx, but when I went to college, I went into Manhattan. But my elementary school, middle school, high school experience was all uh, within a within a ten block radius of where I lived, like my oh. building. What were the names of your schools? I went to public school one hundred and five, PS one hundred and five, <laughs> okay, which is still there. Shout to, out to right? PS one hundred and five. Shout out PS one hundred and five, which no longer has a schoolyard. Which is really sad because the oh. school has grown in the number of students and they mm-hmm. don't have enough space. So now they have those, they're like those trailers mm-hmm. and they're in the schoolyard. So there's no schoolyard oh. space. Wait, so what do they do during oh. recess? I have no idea. Like when I grew up, we had a schoolyard. Yeah. We had the whole schoolyard to right. ourselves oh. and it's not there anymore. <laughs> what was the I name went of to your pay- middle school? My middle school. I went to junior high school, 135, Wayland, high, Wayland Junior High School. Are they all just numbered in New York? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Public school? Well, except for my high school, but oh. my high school had a name. Okay. <laughs> but okay. Uh, no, junior high school, 135 is where I went Okay. for... Um, for junior high it was on wallace avenue right up the street from where i lived yeah. um, and i went there for seventh eighth and ninth grade okay so i know that they're a little different now i think so uh, my my middle school experience was the same as yours seventh like eighth like and seven, ninth? Eight, nine. yeah um it, I, it soon changed after that to just I, I think six, seven, and eight or something. Right. I think it started at seven, eight, and then it was six, seven, eight, and now it's like, I, I think it's still six, seven, eight or something like that. I personally like that. loved it because it meant I was never a freshman in high school. <laughs> I entered as, as oh, um, sophomore. a sophomore. Nice. Which nice, was, nice. you know, not everybody had that experience. Not everybody had that experience, so I was really grateful for that. <laughs> like, I have no experience of being right. a freshman. I entered right. um, huh. in 10th grade. So you, you talked about the shared experience of struggle in your building and in your community. Yeah. When did you sort of start, how old were you when you sort of started to understand 
that struggle? 11. Wow. It's, it was, it's so in, um, I will speak for myself. It was so in my face. Mm. So is that why at 12 you went to work at the video store? Um, partially. I'll get to that okay. in, in just a moment. My high school, just so you know, was named Christopher Columbus High School. Oh. And it is now mm-hmm. gone. It, I think that it closed. Oh. The building's still there, but the high school closed about two year, two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sad to see it gone. I think that it was it was a really good high school when I went there, mm-hmm. and then a couple of years later, it just went downhill. Mm-hmm. Um, they, the year that I graduated, they installed metal detectors, mm-hmm. and that was the beginning of the end for the high right. school, I think. Oh. Um, it has a handball court, and it has a oh. football field that I think is off by two yards. <laughs> one or two yards they spent all this money on a football oh, no. field that's off <laughs> and the reason why it's off is because no one wanted to give up the handball court Stop. <laughs> i am not kidding so i'm somewhere i don't know that i have pictures if i can find them i need those that or we have to <laughs> we have to find them somehow online like they're the story of the basically the useless football field christopher columbus high school bronx yep. new york Yep. Football field. Got it. Yep. And handball court. (laughs) Handball was, was, was the thing. Um, so, so that was the high school, but your, your question about the struggle. So when I was 11, my grandfather passed away and I had a really close relationship with Mm -hmm. him. The last husband that she had essentially, but he was the only grandfather I knew. So while we weren't related by blood, he was the Mm -hmm. person that I Mm -hmm. knew as my grandfather Mm -hmm. picked me up from school for lunch or after school, like almost every day when I was in elementary school. So my experience was seeing him on a daily basis, seeing him and my grandmother, but really him on a daily basis uh, with multiple touch points throughout the day. And so for me at that time losing him was just an awareness of not of not, no longer having that kind of support mm-hmm. and i felt an inner struggle of not not having that touchstone every day and it was my 6th grade uh, i was starting 6th grade so it was my last year in elementary school mm-hmm. at the time and it was that year that we decided to move across the parkway my father bought a house a three family house and we moved across the parkway and two buildings down from our three-family house was a video store. Mm-hmm. And I actually needed, I felt like I needed to work to feel connected. And mm-hmm. the, the, the man who ran the video store was the same age as my grandfather. And he had kind of that grandfatherly mm-hmm. demeanor. And mm-hmm. so I felt really at home. I would go to the video store to rent videos, mm-hmm. and then I would end up talking to him for hours. I always loved talking to elders Mm -hmm. and i would talk with him for hours and he would talk about his always about the good old days in puerto rico (laughs) and new york is good for nothing (laughs) oh my kids just want to keep me busy so they bought me a video store (laughs) he had me in stitches his name was louis he had me in stitches all the time and reminded me in a lot of ways of my grandfather so i started working there and i i kept working there until I was in 11th grade, I think. I stayed there for a while and I left to work in Manhattan. The reason why I noticed the struggle was partially in when I started working at that video store, talking to Louie about his experience um, having come from Puerto Rico to the States and his kids being priority, being given opportunities, but everything is always, you got to work harder than everyone else. I mean, I've heard this my whole life, you know, neither of my parents graduated from high school Mm. and they were insistent that my brother and I graduate. They didn't even care what we ended up doing. They just graduate, (laughs) just graduate, you Mm. know, like whatever subjects, you know, you're interested in great, you know, be interested in anything or nothing, but just graduate. And then it was go to college, you know, Mm. conversations I remember having with Louie were just reminded me of listening to people in my building growing up um, and how people would cry on New Year's Eve. I have this memory of old people crying on New Year's Eve, Mm. like in just nonstop tears. Um, I remember asking my mother once, I had this one experience with our neighbor downstairs, and I said, Mom, why do people cry on New Year's? Just, you know, want to know why. Mm. 
And she said something about they're grieving whatever losses they have had or that another year has passed and um, they made it through. Mm -hmm. And it was just that, I think I was 12 when she said that. Like, oh my gosh, the struggle. You know, I hear this phrase, the struggle is real. And I'm like, yeah, that's been like a tape in my head. You know, my whole life, the struggle is real. We made it through another year. Um, We got, we paid our rent. We're still living in this building. We still have a job. You know, we're we're still alive. And so that's, I remember having that, that awareness, I'm probably too young, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but so much of it came from talking to, I love talking to old people. Like, yes, I'm saying that out loud. I enjoy talking to older people and I loved it when I was a kid. For sure. For sure. Wow. I just can't imagine. No, I just, I'm thinking 12 <laughs> years old. Yeah. Sixth grade. I knew some, I had some friends who also worked when they were in sixth grade. But looking back now, at the time, I thought, oh, wow, I've so grown up working. But looking back, I know it was because they had to help support their family. Yeah. And that's, there's, that's so young that's to do young. that. And, and it's true. The, the helping the family part was, was part of that too. Yeah. But yeah. Right. what I have to say is, I, I wish I could have done that differently. I wish I would have done that differently because I don't have a memory of, of never, um, not working. I don't have a memory of like, being like there's child. always been being a child, but always, you know, if I was in school, it was school. Oh, and then I have to remember I'm working too. And mm. so multi oh. like really wearing multiple hats became mm. a norm. And that I feel like is, is a parallel to the immigrant family experience, right. mm-hmm. you know? And then, so I didn't think there was anything wrong with that. I thought, well, I'm just following what everybody does. This is not hard. Right. Because struggle is normal. Right. right. Yeah. And it yeah. wasn't until, I want to say, like my mid-30s where it, like a light bulb went off of, I don't remember a time where I didn't work. Mm-hmm. I don't remember a time where I wasn't juggling multiple things and I don't complain about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, even when I think it's warranted to complain about them. But I don't. And that's just my experience of you just don't complain because you're, you're lucky to have a job, a roof over your head, not like mm-hmm. all the things mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. hearing. But I think in somewhere along the way, it did me a disservice to work all of that time. Because um, I think I just ended up saying yes to what was in front of me instead of really thinking about, is this what I really want? Mm-hmm. Oh. You know, um, like I I would interview for jobs. And if they said yes, I'd just say, yeah, okay, I'm going oh, to work there. And, and I made a commitment to working wherever it was for right. however, however long, even if I didn't want to be there. And I right. see people now like... Oh, you don't like that job? You, you just change. Right. Like, you can do that? <laughs> and I'm having this. What? <laughs> like, what? You can't do that. Right. Why didn't I think of that? It's like the struggle is real. You, <laughs> right. better, you better stay where you are. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what that was what was ingrained yeah. in, in what I learned was, no, you you get an opportunity. You, you take a hold take of it, it and you yeah. don't let it go. Mm-hmm. Happy to be there. Right? Yeah. That, but I did love working at the video store, and I think it has served me um, over time, like with with the memory of like people coming in yeah. saying, um, "Hey, I'm looking for a movie that's you know great for you know 15 year olds and has you know a little bit of sci-fi, a little bit of fantasy." Again, wouldn't normally know how to answer that question, but we watched almost all the movies that we bought, oh. and so. I learned how to have conversations about, hey, why don't you try watching this? Um, And of course, spent a lot of time watching movies. (laughs) So now do you know a lot of movies? Way too many. (laughs) Do you still watch a lot of movies? I do. I do. Not as many. Mm -hmm. Um, Because after I worked at the video store, I ended up working at a music store. So I actually spend more time. I love music. So I spend more time. We're listening to music i know what I'm, music store wait, wait, coconuts wait, wait, wait. before we go before we yeah. get to the music store <laughs> but i want to know if you've heard of coconuts i've never heard of coconuts but before, i haven't either only and then the only reason why i'm stopping is because we've talked about this rabbit hole of music that we never get out of so <laughs> no. i don't want to so put boundaries so around it yes, yes, yes. okay so, but wait 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 before we go, before we move on um do you remember the name of the movie store at the movies 
was that the was the name of, the name of it at the movies. Oh. Do you remember the address? Um, it was. I don't remember the the exact address. It was on. Uh, I think I may have a recommendation letter though that has the address <laughs> on it. Um, somewhere I can dig it up. Awesome. Do you know? If it, it was on Wallace Avenue. Um and uh, not Lydig. I can't remember this the the street that was going <clears throat> this way, but it was on the corner. It's no longer there. Um, but it was next to a laundromat. I mean, there was at the movies. Oh, at the movies, a little bodega, which is okay. you know, like a. Do we have bodegas here? I don't even know. There are no, no. bodegas. Okay. No. So do you know what a bodega so is? Wait, yeah. Wait, okay. Before, yeah. Before we before we explain what a bodega is mm -hmm. to those listening that may not know what a video store is. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. Oh, so, gosh. so uh, before Netflix, before Netflix, before DVDs, there, before, before DVDs, uh, there were these places <laughs> that used to carry a ton of videos, VHS uh, videos, and used to be able to rent these videos for one to what three to seven nights at a time, depending yeah, on how really much depended. you would pay. And it depends on whether it was a new release or an oldie. Oh. And you would get you would get charged if you didn't rewind the video the whole way. Uh, Rentals yes. were like a dollar. Yes, Go Google it. Go yeah. Just Google it. Hollywood Video Blockbuster. Uh, all of that, but so now you well, Scarecrow, explain. Scarecrow Video, yeah, Scarecrow right? is yeah. still with us. Yeah. That's here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Bodega. So bodegas. I grew up with going, always going to the corner, well, either the corner store, mm -hmm. even if it wasn't on the corner. Most of the corner stores were not on the corner. Yep. <laughs> then there were a couple that were, but the, we call them the bodegas. And the bodega is where you can get, I mean, everything from milk to candy to beer, although we didn't do that. Um, <laughs> uh, like if you needed like adobo like seasoning for for your for for your meal like yeah. they had that stuff they had wait adobo seasoning adobo seasoning oh. yeah mm -hmm. they did they had adobo seasoning and uh ice cream like just like ice cream pops and oh lotto tickets mm -hmm. like this is the mm. store that you go to that's got a sampling of stuff okay uh, and and things like Candles, right. you know, candles with Toilet the saints paper. on them. Oh, yeah. yeah, you know, like that. Not, not, yeah. not taper exciting, you know, um, scented candles, yeah. but like the ones that have the saints on them or like yes. a prayer for like the money candle. Do you need money? Buy this money candle. <laughs> this money candle. You know, this is the, the healing candle. <laughs> if you have prayers for healing, I actually remember going to buy these things. Wow. Um, Tell us about Coconut Records. Or is it Coconut Records or Coconut Records Store? It's just called Coconuts. Okay, so Tell Coconuts. Us about coconuts. <laughs> um, coconuts was owned by I think it's Trans Trans World America mm. Music Company, mm -hmm. and um, they were around in the '90s. I think the late '80s into the into the late '90s they were around as a. Uh, first a record store and they had cassettes and a then record when, store. <laughs> when I worked there they were um, promoting CDs like oh. CDs were fairly new okay. I started working at coconuts I think it was in 1991 or 92 I think it was 1991 mm -hmm. um, but I, I might be off by I might be off by a year because I think I worked there for two years and then I graduated from high school but um, I loved, that was my favorite, my favorite job. I think mm. aside from running a bookstore, the music store was awesome. There was always music on in the house yeah. always. And we, my brother and I would stay up to watch Friday night videos, the precursor to MTV and, VH1. <laughs> and Friday night videos. If you didn't catch it when it was happening mm -hmm. and you didn't have a video v yeah. VHS recorder, there was no watching yeah. it. So we would stay up late on Friday nights to watch Friday night videos. Nice. And so music was always like a central part of our lives. And what I loved about working at Coconuts was being introduced to other genres of music. Mm -hmm. You know, I already had an eclectic taste. Yeah. You know, at the time that I started working there, um, I remember I liked, you know, everything from I loved The Cure. And then I used to listen to freestyle, so I always had to have like you know Lisa Lisa was on my yeah. on my playlist, nice. and that next to like the Cure, that's like what? Yeah. <laughs> they don't go well together. But then I got introduced to you know classical and world music, but I, they were it wasn't called world music at the time. Like they had mm. them categorized differently, mm. and like they had a new age section. I'm like, what's that? Because I was still into tarot cards yeah. at this time, new new age, as in like the books new age. But yeah. I didn't know there was new age music. Yeah. 
that opened up. Wow. Like, whoa. Um, and country and just really cool to see, be exposed to yeah. all this different kind of music and people would come in and I had an ear for it. So people would come in and say, I just heard the song on the radio goes, la, 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 la. Oh, that gotcha. sounds bad. And I'm like, I would be like, is it, you know, pick something from the flock of seagulls. I'm like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. You know, the, the, just, I could hear something and there it was. You were there. Really you no caught Shazam. it. Yeah. Shazam. I was, I know I love Shazam. Um, but I loved that. And I loved recommending, you know, with someone come in and say, Hey, I'm having a celebration for, you know, um, you know, 25 years of, you know, marriage. And when I want to give my partner a romantic, you know, CD, I'm like, Ooh, Harry Connick Jr. was big at the time. Okay. Like, oh, pick me, Harry Connick Jr., right? Oh, no, and George Michael, too. He was big at the oh, time, too. Like, okay. We've got to give him, you know, um, listen without prejudice here. Listen to that <laughs> with your partner. Nice. <laughs> nice. Right? So, nice. volume one. I loved, I loved that job, and that has influenced for me how I listen to music now, and, and that I still put playlists together yeah. i've been doing that i do it for now for teaching but i've always put playlists together like it's music has shaped shaped my life yeah. that's cool i was just thinking about how when you said people would come into the store asking i need music that fits this this situation that doesn't happen nowadays i think people just google or they're just like 70s music. Okay, got it. Playlist. You know, yeah. it's a pre-populated playlist or whatever that someone else made and they just play it. It's funny. Like, they don't really ask. Yeah. They just assume this is going to be good. Mm-hmm. They don't really ask, oh, you're a, you're knowledgeable in this. Yeah. Tell me more. Well, and there's so much relationship building that happens in yeah. retail, or it used to happen in retail. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. felt like, in the video, whether it was in the video store or at Coconuts, mm-hmm. there was like conversation not only about hey what's new or you know what what kind of song or cd might go really well with this kind of event but it was also like hey where were you when you listened to that song Mm. or you know i have this memory of um uh listening to um it was it was one of one of the songs on that george michael's cd and a couple were there were two floors to coconuts and i have this memory forever etched in my mind this couple started dancing in the middle of the aisle. Like mm-hmm. as soon as that song came on, and I didn't really listen to that song like on my own, but every time I hear it now, I have this memory. I see the couple mm-hmm. like in the middle aisle, like you know, between the two rock sections, <laughs> dance slow dancing, and and that's, that's so it's just a memory, mm-hmm. you right. know that that's there. And, um, was, and so a was cool one. coconut like a mom and pop? No, it's okay. it was that it was part of Trans World Music Corporation okay. meant okay. that it was um, it was a number of different music stores and I can't remember some of the other ones that that were part of like Coconuts was one of a few different okay. chain music stores. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they didn't make it to the West Coast, but Coconuts was big on the East Coast. Okay, shout out. They to were Coconuts. all over Manhattan. You 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 <laughs> mentioned. Um, before you got into tarot card reading. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. I started when I was a kid. Okay. So um, I was exposed to exposed to tarot cards when I was probably, I don't know, like as early as two or three. Wow. So oh, wow. my mom had a woman. Again, she's going to be like, how could you say this out loud? Um, <laughs> my mom used to get readings regularly from a woman who was like an aunt mm-hmm. to me. And she, of course, my mother, we never went anywhere um, without my mother. Um, and, and I mean that, like, I don't even, I've never had a babysitter. That's mm-hmm. like, we went everywhere with her. And so this includes going into this, this little shop and there was a tarot reader in the back. Um, and, uh, her name was Millie Milagro. Where was the shop? Uh, in, in there were, she worked at a number of different shops in the Bronx. Okay. And so she was always in the Bronx. Um, and I remember going to like, I don't know, over a dozen shops from the time I was two, from the time I was, um, in my early twenties. Mm-hmm. Cause I, you know, she, um, I think she had to stop when I was in my early twenties. She was like in her eighties maybe. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Um, but she would read for my mom. And then, cause I was a curious kid I, and I was painfully shy and I loved pictures, mm. loved them. 
I just became obsessed with these cards and I always wanted to play with them and I wanted like a set for myself mm. and I would look at them and I would see stories. And mm. so when I was, um, I want to say it was either 10 or 11, um, I got my first deck of cards. Mm. Oh yeah, I got my first deck of cards and it came really natural to read them. And I didn't read them for fortune telling. Mm. You know, I read them as like they were my friends and they were telling me a story and I would actually look at them didn't I never read a book about at the time I never read a book about tarot cards mm -hmm. but I would look at them and see oh I would ask because my mother would ask questions so I would just come up with questions and then look at the cards and see well what are they telling me mm -hmm. and they became like confidants like they're going to tell me a truth or mm -hmm. um, give me a perspective that no one else would give me and mm -hmm. to my most deeply personal questions that I wouldn't say out loud to anyone else. And that's kind of the experience I had with them. Mm -hmm. And um, I still have, like I've accumulated decks from that time from 10 to 11. Wow. I have like well over almost 400 decks. Wow. Like I've just wow. accumulated all these years and it's been a central part of my life, my whole life. Um, wow. I read every day. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, when I was in high school, friends were like, will you read for me? And it was always like, does he like me? Right. <laughs> Are we going to get back together? Are we going to be married? Yes. <laughs> and, you know, it, I don't read, I don't do those kinds of readings anymore because I'm much more, <clears throat> it's not that I'm much more interested in other things. I'm really, I love using cards to help people learn about themselves. Right. You know, and like not so much make decisions about like the the predictability of your future but more mm. like how do you want to influence it yourself right. you know how do you want to know yourself better so that you can make different decisions wow yeah. you know that's kind of what i i use it for i believe in free will i know that yeah. there are people who are like well if a tarot reading says this and then that's what's going to happen i'm like i don't think so <laughs> i think that you always have a choice <laughs> it can tell you if you stay on this path this trajectory mm. this might happen right. and yes there's a part of me that believes that some things are faded but i also believe that as you your consciousness changes it means that you can change your life mm. um in 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 meaningful ways whatever that means for you right. um and so i have this experience of tarot cards when i was a kid of my mother going in for a reading to get information about how she can improve her life mm. you know or how she can understand whatever dynamic was happening and make better choices. Mm. And so I have that memory because I used to listen to the conversations. Mm. And when I got my own, you know, got my own deck, I was like, well, I want to do the same thing. Right. You know, like I want to, how do I, these things, these images help me know myself. Right. And, and they still do that. And I, all these years, I've never, ever, ever had a moment of, oh, this is boring. <laughs> Never. Like, it's just awesome. not possible. They've been around since at least the 13 or 1400s. There's right. so much history. And I think it, they're cross-cultural. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think mm -hmm. about the first deck that I was exposed to was the Spanish tarot. Everything on it was written in Spanish. But the first deck that I was given as a gift, I think it was a mother piece. So it was primarily images of, of, of women. Of, it was a feminist deck. Mm -hmm. So cross-cultural. Which was nice. Messaging. Oh. Yep. Yes. Of course, my mother was horrified because half the women on there were naked. She was like, oh, my daughter's <laughs> like 11. Um, but it wasn't it was sexualized. It was just, you know, hey, look up the mother piece deck. Almost everybody's naked on it. But um, it had a lot of imagery of um, powerful, like tribal women from different cultures. Oh. And so I just got this message that, uh, you know, women are powerful. Absolutely. It's awesome. Wow. You know, and then and when I got introduced to more Eurocentric decks, I was like, eh, that's a lot of patriarchy <laughs> before oh, yeah. I understood what like, you know, what the depth of that was. But right. of course, the history goes back mm -hmm. to to somewhere in Europe. So there's an argument between Italy and France of who mm -hmm. started tarot mm -hmm. um, in the 1300s. And so, of course, it has um, pa a patriarchal influence. Right. It's going to. But it also has stories that are universal like we all have an experience of of saying i want to be away from my family so i can know myself right. so we play the fool sometimes like oh i'm going to take a leap of faith i'm going to leave the house and, mm. and it just the, the journey goes on and, right. and it doesn't matter who i read for where they grew up 
what their primary language is, mm-hmm. they can always see something reflected in their life experience in, in cards. And it, the cards don't even have to look like them. Right. But it's just, oh, there's a moment, there's an image that speaks to me. Wow. For me, that's part of my culture. Tarot is a part of my culture. For mm. sure. My personal culture. For sure. Yeah. I'm thinking about the woman that your mother used to go to. Milagro? Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about the video store owner. I'm thinking about the record store. I'm thinking about the number of like entrepreneurs that you had access to. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tell me more about the entrepreneurs that influence what you do today. It's primarily my father. Mm. I actually didn't recognize Milagro as an entrepreneur until I started reading Mm. for people. You know, and really, if I think about it, she was the first entrepreneur I was exposed to. But I didn't really see her as one because my parents didn't identify tarot reading as a career. Right. You know, even though that was Millie's, that was her life's work. Right. But my father, when he first came to the U.S., he worked for, um, gosh, I'm trying to remember the name of the, Silmac, Mm -hmm. Silmac Glass Company. Mm -hmm. In 1988 or 89, he started his own glass company, Mm -hmm. Zarus, it's um, after St. Lazarus. So he called it Zarus Glass. It was how connected my family was to, okay, you know, the saints Mm -hmm. will always be there to guide you, Mm -hmm. to watch over you. And St. Lazarus, I think, was, um, gosh, I'm going to forget this, but I think he was like the painter and saint of healing for the, mm-hmm. for those who were destitute or, or suffering from illness. And, you know, my, I think both my father and mother really resonated with him, like wanting to be of service. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he chose the name Zarus Glass and uh, started his own company. And he did it with, when I say very little business experience, like none, mm-hmm. but he had such passion and love for right you know, for the work that he did, mm-hmm. was a really nurturing uh, manager mm-hmm. and, and to a fault. Mm-hmm. Like he would never let go of an employee. Like even when he needed to, he just wouldn't do it. <laughs> and, and because of that, he, and he would not ask for help. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why my parents were so pushy with me and my brother about getting an education was they never wanted us to be in a situation where we didn't have an answer. So they always wanted us to be resourceful mm-hmm. and we were. But he never asked for help even when he needed it. And so my father was an entrepreneur who had a successful business until the economy started to show signs of struggle. Mm -hmm. And then he didn't know how to ask for help and his business went bankrupt. Mm -hmm. And as a result, we lost our house. And there was a lot of shame Mm -hmm. and sadness around that for, Mm -hmm. for him and for all of us. And it was, it was shocking. But he was the first entrepreneur that I knew. Mm. And the one that I think when I, I always wanted to do my own thing. Like right. when we were talking about culture earlier, like yeah. the first idea I ever had in high school was I wanted to start a, a magazine because I was part of the, the literary group called Emerging Cultures because I was so fascinated by living in an environment right. and being someone who's really, even though I'm Latina, I'm a mixed between two very different Latin cultures. And I knew so many people who had that experience, but no magazine ever talked Mm. about that. And Mm -hmm. I think it was before like Latina magazine. And even when that came out, it wasn't, it was just like the Latina experience as if it's a singular thing. Right. Right. And, you know, I remember going back in my journals in high school, like merging cultures just came up over and over again. Mm. And I didn't know how to do it. But I knew I wanted to. And the same idea came up in my 20s where I saw this building in Harlem. It was this uh, abandoned school, or not an abandoned school, but it wasn't a functioning school. Like, I want to buy a school Mm. and I want to open up a multicultural school, like with no money and no experience, (laughs) no educational background whatsoever. (laughs) I was a freshman in college and I had this idea. But the reason why I'm mentioning this is I always had ideas. Right. And always wanted to do something that would be service oriented, that would be community oriented, that would kind of highlight a multicultural experience. And yet I always came back to the fear that I would fail the way that my father did, Mm. you know, even, and it wasn't, it's not, it's not a bad thing to fail, but I always had this feeling of, oh my gosh, what if people are relying on me and I can't, you know, uh, provide the security. Oh. Hmm. 
and stability Mm -hmm. that I grew up hearing I needed. Right. You know, mm-hmm. sa- stability, security, and even yeah. and struggles always underneath the three S's. It's right there. Right. You know, right. I just stopped myself multiple times from doing it because if I couldn't do it right, and if I couldn't guarantee that it would be stable, secure, and successful, even with struggle, right. I wasn't going to do it. And so he was the first. I think that in hindsight, Millie was the first entrepreneur I was exposed to because she had her own gig before mm. my father had his own business. But mm. I think he was. The one that I recognize as the first entrepreneur right. was beautiful watching him. Yeah. You know, I was a teenager at the time and it was beautiful watching him. And it was really sad, right. you know, when, when, when things didn't go well and they didn't have to not go well. Right. Like again, in hindsight, they didn't have to, right. but he didn't have the language. Mm-hmm. He was very proud, right. very proud. And he was not going to say I'm struggling. Right. Even though again, that's, it's an unspoken thing. But he is the reason why I think I waited so long. Right. And yet, if I look at it, he's, it, it also has influenced the, right. the desire to want to, you know, to Absolutely. do something. But, and so tell us what you do now. Oh, I do three things now that I absolutely love. So I finally, since I was 11, I've been working, or 12, I've been working. In 2014, I left my my full-time job Mm. at the university of washington and i had i was terrified of Mm. leaving and not having any sort of like anchor like i've never not had a job how am i going to do this Mm. but i have this deep love for what i do i teach nia classes Mm. and i'll you know i'll come back to that in a moment i'd left to teach nia to do tarot counseling which i do one-on-one with people and I call it counseling because it's not for me. They're not just readings. And when I say not just readings, I think readings are important. But they're counseling in that it's a dynamic conversation that's really centered around using the images to stimulate a conversation. And, and that some of that may be connected to an emotional memory. Some of that may be connected to like a wish or a desire that you have. But it's conversational and it's really not about telling you, here's what the cards say are going to happen, but how do you want to use this information to mold an experience for yourself? And so for me, there's a, there's a council with a big C like involved in that. Yeah. Like there's a, they, the cards are your collective council mm-hmm. and how do we use those to guide you? Mm-hmm. And so I do that. So I teach Nia and do tarot counseling with people. And then when I left my full-time job, I had always wanted to create a blend of movement or whether you call it dance or movement, you know, it's movement or our bodies move and I call it a dance, but some people don't identify as dancers. So we call it movement, a blend of movement and tarot. And what's the intersection of the two This for me is not, I wasn't an academic tarot person like i didn't learn through going to like a certificate program Mm. i I did i have read tons of books but Mm. my approach was more i look i feel i experience and then when i was in grad school and had this experience with nia i realized i'm a somatic learner and i didn't even know what that was at the time Mm -hmm. i grew up with a learning disability was always in resource room Mm. which is like kind of like a a version of special ed Mm. uh and it was because I'm, I'm a kinesthetic learner and, and I didn't, mm. there was no, there was no language around that. Right. And I yeah. learned it in yeah. grad school right. and I was like, oh, it was, <clears throat> blew my mind when I realized, oh my gosh, I actually learned through doing, right. I learned through feeling I'm tactile. And uh, it was through this Nia experience that we had in our second weekend in grad school. And, and Nia's tagline is through movement, we find health. And it's the premise is that if you choose joy in any moment, that your your body will respond. It creates a feeling of wellness and health. And yes, it combines, you know, dance and martial arts and healing arts, but it's really the blend of those things that address that you have a mind, a body, a heart, and a spirit. Mm. So and aerobics is just like it's just your body, mm-hmm. it's your muscles and bones, right? Mm. Which is fun too. And and dance can be just about the choreography, but the emotion and the choreography. And yoga is about I'm okay, I'm gonna center my mind, I'm 
you know, really connecting with the stillness within and mm-hmm. at the same time working on flexibility and strength. Mm-hmm. But Nia is just this blend of, I'm a human being that wants to express herself or himself or whoever it is, to express myself in a certain way. And that changes moment to moment, depending on what my experience is. Mm-hmm. And yet I also have functional movement. I have to learn how my body works. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, a lot of bones and a lot of muscles, right? And we have these major organs and there are different ways to move to activate everything in your body. Mm -hmm. And Nia does that. Mm -hmm. And then there's a part of it that says you can have this high of this experience and then you want to also ground yourself to be in your body so that you know that you can respond in any given moment when you're feeling stress, where you're feeling sadness, that you know how to bring yourself back. And the healing arts does that. That's what mm-hmm. yoga is so useful for. And, mm-hmm. and any kind of technique that um, addresses your breath and alignment, it's saying, come back, get grounded. And so it does all of those things. And it blew my mind the first time I had the experience because it's not about choreography. And mm-hmm. even though I am Latina, I had some difficulty with coordination. <laughs> Such difficulty with coordination. <laughs> and I never liked being um, in a fixed pattern and there's nothing that's fixed in Nia. Uh Before I did Nia, I did West African dance and Afro-Caribbean dance. What I loved about that was its connection to archetype, Mm. its connection to the gods, the goddesses, to nature. Like Mm. there there was the dance of water, you know, the the ocean, the sea, the river, um, the dance of thunder and lightning. And so those are the things that I responded to. Um, and then that studio closed in Manhattan, and that was the only reason why I stopped going. Right. It was because it closed. Right. Then I discovered Nia a few years later, and it had that same quality, that kind of archetypal journey of, you know, expressing the warrior within, you know, or the the the, the more sensual part of who you are, or the the part of you that is becoming agile, kind of responding, contracting, and expanding at the same time. And I thought. This is addressing all of me, and yet it doesn't ask me to maintain a pattern. It says, do it your way. And so no two people ever look alike in a class, which is beautiful to me, you know, because I love, while I love seeing like synchronized swimming and synchronized dancing, it's too much pressure. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like the wildness of, here's a pattern, do it however it comes natural for you, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, Nia opened that door, but it's how I read cards. I read them in a kind of nonlinear, organic wild and archetypal way and like what would happen if i merged these mm-hmm. so coming back to the answer to your question the third piece is arcana dance and arcana means for me um, the broader meaning of arcana is the secret it's a secret to be revealed mm-hmm. and dance is movement to music so for me arcana dance is a secret that's revealed through the dance mm-hmm. and we use cards we use tarot cards as entry points to stimulate the secret you know and 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 there's music and there's organic movement that's guided and it's different every time it's very personal this is not choreographed dance but it's it's taking an archetype and saying if i were working with the archetype of the mother how would i move how would i move with my current identity as a mother or a mother having been mothered versus how i want to be mothered And what does that feel like if I let my body have the experience? Like we have so many people that come in for readings and they're like, I want to be more confident. Like you can't think yourself into confidence, but you can try it on physically. You can try it on with your posture. You can try it on by simply lifting your chin. And there, there are different things that you can do to give your body a message. But we spend so much time in our minds that... And tarot people spend a lot of time in their minds that for me that the intersection of the two is really important in bringing people back to the importance of your body in shaping your experience. Um, And so Arcana Dance is my baby. It's three years old, you know, and um, growing every day and kicking my butt every day because it's 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 like it's its own. It has its own soul as as a business. But I love it. And. I just want to keep doing that. And, and I love Nia, too, because Nia is how I got into this. It's, it's, it was my portal. Yeah. Mm. You know, it taught me everything I know about movement, about my body. Um, and so while it's Arcana Dance and Nia are very different, very mm. different experiences, there would be no Arcana Dance without my foundation in Nia. 
Wow. You know, and so I, I honor them both. I teach them both. And in the middle, like if it's a triad, there's, you know, here's Nia, here's Arcana Dance, and at the very top, it's tarot. You know, because that to me is like the top of the pyramid in my life. Where do your cultures and dance intersect? Um, I love this question. Yeah. Because I hadn't considered it before, whether or not they even intersect. But they, when I started thinking about it, they really do on so many levels. The types of dance that I've chosen over time, the ones that I've been most responsive to, were not not ballet, not jazz, not, not the, the things that I was most exposed to, but you know, the, the Afro-Caribbean dance and West African dance, that I, the classes that I went to in New York, I mentioned responding to them because they had sort of this archetypal, kind of this underlying story that, that you, you're telling with your body. You're telling your, the story of the healers, the warriors, the, the, the ocean, the, the wind, mm. and all of that just really spoke to me and reminded me of how I grew up. Right. Having this relationship with with saints, with gods and goddesses. And now I have another way of accessing those stories, not just through prayer and not just through ceremony and ritual, which I grew up with, mm-hmm. but now through through dance. And right. there's a whole other expression. And I mentioned how shy I was. So it is not natural for me to get up and dance. And it helped that this class was packed and I could just blend in. Where they intersect was the dances that I've chosen, including Nia and then Arcana dance, have given me an expression for this relationship that I have with unspoken things. You know, whether it's nature or my own spirituality, it gives me a way to express it in in a way that's relatable. Mm. You know, and mm. that that creates community. That we we have a common experience. Of what does it mean to dance love? You know, what does it mean to to dance strength or to express like the mother within or the father within or whatever right. it might or the teacher within? And and it gives me relationship with people. But it also, I think, dance does this where dance and culture intersect. It allows us to tell stories that are sometimes joyous but sometimes so painful that there are no words mm-hmm. there's only the movement mm-hmm. and it, it allows us to express emotion that we may otherwise like suppress and so for me dance is just like emotion in motion you know it, it gives nice. gives you some way to express something and it doesn't have to be in a dramatic way i'm not a theatrical person and mm-hmm. so for me it's like is it does it feel real like can you feel the weight of of sadness can you allow your whole posture to change so that you feel the heaviness and the contraction that comes. Mm-hmm. But you can contract when you feel joy. Like everything in you wants to just kind of like burst when mm-hmm. you're feeling joyful. The natural posture is out, not in. Right, right. You right. know, and so I think for me, dance does that. When I say it does that, it gives me an ability to express emotional truth, but also cultural truth too. Right. You know, because there, it doesn't require language. It doesn't require that I explain to you uh, a belief, or even that how you're I have feeling, or how I'm feeling. Right. Yeah, or a value right. that that that's dear to me. I can express it. So that's I love that you asked that yes. question, and, and um, it's also ancestral. It's like mm-hmm. I get to tell the stories of the people that came before me and honor them. Mm-hmm. You know, through that, that their legacy is not lost. Because so much of our cultures are rooted in in movement Absolutely. and uh, story nonverbal storytelling mm-hmm. and oral storytelling but you know all of that it gets it get, there's a legacy that gets passed down and it gets reinterpreted right well when i just think about your story about going with your mom to the tarot card reader mm-hmm. and like just what an impact that part of just your life had on it and so it is this mixture of so many different experiences coming back to you which is super awesome How can folks connect? Uh, Super easy right now. I have a website and an email address that's really long, but (laughs) worth remembering. So my... We'll put it in the description. Yeah. So see, my website is uh, jenniferluceroearl.com and the Earl has an E at the end. So Lucero is my maiden name and Lucero Lucero means bringer of light, like like Luce. So I love um, holding on to that name. Mm-hmm. And then Earl is my married name, and it's got an E at the end. So my email address is jennifer at jenniferluceroearl.com. Nice. I'm really easy to find. I, I, what I want to share is I love, absolutely love everything that I do. 
I really do. And, and, and for me, the, the part of Lucero bringing light, no matter whether I'm teaching a class or working with someone one-on-one or, one -on -one or you know, hosting a workshop or a retreat, there's, my intention is always to activate or bring out the lightness in the person in front of me. You know, that, that means that there's, 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 there's a unique beauty to each of you. And, and why hide that? luminosity you know in whatever way and it can sit alongside sadness and it can sit alongside anger and angst and all of things that we feel mm. but there's always a light like that need that can be activated if we just remember that oh you know what i'm 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 this awesome soul sure. and there's no one like me how cool is that you know i like how i like that I like <laughs> but thank you so much yeah. thank, thank you, you both Yay! Yay! We did it! <laughs> this is Jennifer Lucero Earl, and you are listening to No Blueprint.